Welcome into Debbie Debate. This is Chris Moxley, uh, and I want to start our episode this week with comments on the shooting that occurred in Nashville um, on Monday. If you don't want to hear this, um, it's hard for you to hear, or you're not interested in engaging in this kind of conversation um, for whatever reason, skip the first couple of minutes of this episode. Um, and I want to dedicate it to the, uh, the, the, those who were killed in a, a broader discussion uh, very quickly. And I think that it's relevant because we've give, been given this platform. Um, and I think it's important to speak about issues when they can affect your communities, local communities. I have, I have family in Nashville who are very close to the shooting and who are involved in a lot of churches and, um, this could have been them. And so I, I struggled where to start with this in general. Uh, the three nine-year-olds who were murdered, Haley Scruggs, Evelyn Dickhouse, and William Kenny, or the three adults, Catherine Coons, uh, Mike Hill, or Cynthia Peak. What about the idea that this, this came to me this week when I, when I was sitting down, what about the idea that every parent should be able to see their child return home from school and not have to go to the morgue to identify their mangled bullet written bodies. I don't have children currently. I know Matt does. I know Felix does. Um, who's who, who are Matt? Matt's here with me, and I know I know Felix is listening or w- will listen later. This doesn't make me want to have children. Like it, it incentivizes me not to. Considering how traumatizing this is for the families and the children, and even worse, those who lost their lives. There's a lot of bad faith arguments that I've heard post Monday shooting, and it's it's. Some of them are it's too early, despite us having 130 mass shootings since January 1st, or mental health is the real issue. The The most absurd argument that I've heard so far is to arm the teachers. Uh, that is a hollow bad faith argument because despite having 10,000 more cops than we had at the time, or post Columbine, not a single mass shooting has been prevented. And Uvalde was a perfect example of how a good guy with a gun does not necessarily get the job done. Trained officers did intervene. You expect a 60-year-old English teacher to do so instead. It is also simply doubling down on the blood money coming from the NRA and the weapons manufacturers. It's seriously disgusting, and I think that the, the, the politicians and officials who propagate this message are morally bankrupt. As I sat down to write this, as I was going to post it somewhere else, and Matt and I kind of talked about pre-show, and I, I think it was important to at least have this discussion a little bit, I, I thought about the path forward uh, and what it means. And I've, I've kind of resigned myself to the idea that nothing is ever going to change. When 20, 20 children were murdered in Sandy Hook, we did nothing. When 19 children were murdered in Uvalde last year, we did nothing. Elected officials don't particularly care about the lives of our children when it comes to the profits to the gun lobby. It's depressing, but as the only country on earth where it consistently happens, we've essentially normal, normalized it and political momentum simply does not exist. That does not mean we should not try to push for it and try harder to do so. But it does mean that in the status quo, there is um, resistance to that message. And I think in the future, being able to advocate and focus on political reforms is probably important. I want to end with this, though. A trans individual committed this this shooting. Um, and it's obfuscating and perpetuating what has become a culture war and, the, and a primary talking point for a lot of those in right-wing media, and I don't want to say all of them, but it, it is a, a large faction. The right would love nothing more to eliminate the LGBTQ plus segment of the population, and some of them have probably viewed this as a jackpot moment. But this is not, don't get me wrong, right? This is a disturbed terrorist who took the lives of children, three adults, a horrible, horrible person, deeply disturbed. 
But this is not because they were trans. They were horrific individual. Of the 375 post-Columbine school shootings, this was the first perpetuated by someone who truly identified as trans and did not flip their identity post-conviction to get a lighter sentence, which has happened prior. Parents did not want this person to have a gun, and she would have been caught, but instead Tennessee does not have red flag laws, and that clearly would have caught this individual. And prior screening, screening questions can simply be avoided and you are you can lie about those. This is not meant to get political, and I don't want to turn this into a political discussion because I'm not necessarily sure it is. It is focusing on the lives that are lost, and it's focusing on the lives who uh, will inevitably be probably be lost. This is not the last school shooting, and I, I expect we will be having this conversation sometime in the next couple months. I think it's important to acknowledge that trans lives matter, and obfuscating the debate and perpetuating the culture war is not the answer. I want to leave, and I'll end with this discussion, then we'll move on to the, the regular show. But what is the value of a child's life, and at what point do we collectively acknowledge that, according to our politicians, decision makers in power, that it's less than we think it is? The shooting on Monday was horrific, and I want to acknowledge that there is a serious problem going on in our country, and I don't, I don't have an answer. I, I'm not sure anyone really has an answer currently, but we should at least pretend that our children's lives are worth a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, just just to expound on that last part there, I think that as a father of two young boys is, is the hardest part to comprehend. Um, the fact that our children's lives don't seem to matter, I, I can't imagine, and I'm going to get upset, I can't imagine what those parents are going through right now, and I pray that I never have to deal with something like that, and I just, my heart goes out to all of those families uh, there in Tennessee, and I hope and pray every single day that we, man up's not the right way to do this, I, I don't have a better way to describe it, but we finally do something about this, because it, children are supposed to be our future, we're supposed to do everything we can to protect them, and show them that the world is a good place, and yet we continue to let them be the, what's the word I want to use here, This uh, the victims for our greed, our arrogance, our ignorance, uh, and everything else, and they're the ones paying the prices while, while we continue to get, and I don't want to say we as in general we, but we know who I'm talking about continue to get fat and happy. And, I, and it, it's very sad that we continue to let the children pay our pay the price for our mistakes. So there is not really any real easy transition to jump into the show from that. But uh, we, we, we do have an actual football show. We are going to talk some football today. Uh, Chris is here with me. Uh, Felix is out gallivanting around Kentucky. Uh, he, he needed a night off and... Not really sure exactly what he's doing, but I'm sure he's getting up to to no good. Austin is still out on his yacht. I'm not really sure if or when he is ever coming back. I think he's uh, enjoying it a little bit more than he should. So Mox and I have got a full show for you. We are going to start with going against consensus here, Chrisley. I don't know why I just called you Chrisley. That's uh, that that that's a new one. But uh, Chris, we are going to start talking about going against consensus here. Who are some players based on ADP and and are kind of uh, ranked highly in our rankings that you are? Is is it fair to say betting against? It's fair to say betting against it at cost, right? Uh, so first is Will Shipley. Um, 
He's ranked RB7 under site. He's going RB6 and ADP, which is translates to 12th overall. That That's pretty rich. So I look at him, him as a rusher, right? When he was coming in, I don't think that he was a particularly good uh, between the tackles. And you were relying on like elusiveness, breakaway speed, and all of those things. And I don't think he's really shown that, right? He Out of qualified uh, rushers, which is 150 carries, he ranked 48th. 48th of 81 in breakaway run rate at 32.7% and 39th in elusiveness. 43rd in missed tackles, like forced missed tackles per attempt. Like this is not a guy who's avoiding tackles. He's not necessarily elusive per se. He also was third in yard before contact. So the offensive line was doing actually a pretty good job on his rushing plays, which I didn't see when I watched Clemson this year. And then I went back and watched, I was like, oh, like they're actually creating like three-ish yards of three to like, three, maybe a little bit more yards before contact. That was second in the ACC. So, like, he had the opportunity of getting what was blocked for him. The receiving is where I I, I question what his upside is, because I actually feel like we were able to we, – we, we cast him as, like, this receiving back, like, who can also rush. I don't necessarily know that I see that, right? He's, like, 5'11", 205. He still needs to add weight. His receiving market share, 85th percentile, which is really good in a vacuum for running back, but – a dot minus one, which means he was catching passes primarily primarily behind the line of scrimmage, qualified uh, among running backs that had more than 20 targets. He ranked 89th. Um, so let's put this in perspective, right? Jameer Gibbs, 1.3 A dot. Evan Hull, 1.1 A dot. And then Bijan, who was like a freak, 6.8, which I'm not even going to compare him to. But I think the Gibbs and the Evan Hull comparison is pretty interesting, right? So Will Shipley, still two yards behind the line of scrimmage, not as good. A total of 8.7% of his targets were outside of the backfield, which is also incredibly low compared to Gibbs. His slot rate was 6% less compared to Hull, 8% less. Uh, Gibbs was lining outside 12% more. Hull doubled the amount that Shipley was, 6.8%, right? So you, you, you have a profile of a player who... Like those are pretty good are viewed as pretty good receiving backs in this class. I don't know that Shipley's doing that, despite a high receiving yardage market share. So I don't know where he's succeeding outside of maybe he gets less boxes and he's more efficient than his teammates. But like on aggregate, I don't necessarily think he was really productive this year, or at least impressive enough. There we go. My my mic was not working there for a minute. Yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be awesome because I I did not do nearly as much research as uh, as you did, but I, I don't necessarily disagree with uh, the Will Shipley thing. Who is it that um, Froton was on with Colin and he believes Mama yeah. is better? Correct. That that was kind of like his hot take that that got everybody yeah. going. I don't know if I'm there, but I, yeah, I, I, do I don't think know that he's I'm there either. But yeah, I, he I mean he was more efficient than Mafa and. Uh, Noah Hills actually does a lot with this, um, yards per carry plus, which is like, I don't want to, I don't want to butcher his statistic, but I think it takes into a context, into context, like the teammates around him. And so like, he's more efficient than Phil Moffa was for sure. So, but yeah, there are people who believe that Moffa is better. And I don't think it's a bad take necessarily. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad take. I don't know that I would go that far either, but I, 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 I kind of get it. I, I don't really love this draft class. If I'm being honest outside no, of, of. 
Henderson and Sanders. I'm I'm still kind of out on Braylon Allen. Maybe I'm going to end up eating my words on that one with the whole uh, Phil Longo offense, and maybe he opens some things up. But I'm going to stick at the running back position as well. And again, I, I did not do as much deep dive, so I'm just going to go right off the, the top of the old noggin here. Uh, and it is Trevante Citizen, who I liked. I think the whole crew really liked Coming out last year, unfortunately, deals with the ACL injury, which I believe was in spring camp last year. I don't even think it was in fall. So we're about a... I don't think so. About a year out of that. He's going as RB11 right now with an ADP of 36.3, and he is still not practicing, guys. Like, I get wanting to bet on the upside, but my other fear with him is he was transitioning from linebacker to running back guys. Like he was, it's not like he's been playing running back his entire life. And now he's coming in here and he just got injured ACL. Hey, we'll, we'll see how he bounces back. You know, Mike Valerie, I know says this all the time on back to Debbie. It's it, although it happens a lot with ACLs, not everybody bounces back the same. And the fact that it has been a year and that we have not seen him out on the field, it worries me. Now maybe he'll be fine. Fall camp rolls around. We, we want the running back in that offense. Maybe he's perfectly fine, comes back out, destroys, because we think he will in that kind of offense. And then I'm going to look like an idiot. But I, I feel like the fact that he is still not back and healthy, still not practicing, they have Henry Parrish there who's getting all kinds of love from the offensive coordinator, Shannon Dawson, and Mario Cristobal. Like, I just don't know that Citizen's just going to get this job when he comes back. And so then you're ending up betting on a, a second guy in the Miami rotation in an offense that – I want to believe is going to be better, but I'm gonna. I, I have to see it actually be better because as much as we think Shannon Dawson could be a good thing for this offense, the real question is: be can Mario Cristobal get out of his own way and let that happen for this offense? So then you're really betting on a one-year kind of thing with Citizen next year. So he is one that I am fading again. I, I mean, there's guys going after. I'd rather take Justice Haynes, who's going. 10 picks after him. Roderick Robinson's going almost 20 picks sure. after him. Like, give me one of those freshmen with no injury history who I think, if I'm being honest, are probably equally, if not more talented than Citizen anyways and don't have the knee injury and on better teams. So, Trevante Citizen is one of the guys that I am fading or going against with the consensus. Yeah, and I actually, I really, uh, I agree with you on that one for sure. Um, I, I think a lot of it is take lock. Like, yeah. we were really, really high on him last year as, as a group. And I think we've almost all pivoted in the other direction. Um, just like, you, I, it, it speaks to how adaptable you have to be in, in uh, when it comes to injuries, comes to players. Because he, I, I think him and Jadon Blue are both kind of very, both interesting cases and very similar in respects. Yeah. My second one is Malik Neighbors. This is going to be interesting. Because is... I know the team is split on Malik Neighbors. So I'm, I am interested yes. to hear this. Yeah, and I, I think the overall Debbie community is, CTC community is as well, too. Um, he is going as wide receiver 6 and 21 overall in our ADP in February, and I feel like that's pretty aggressive. All right? I, players directly after him, within 10 slots after him, that I would rather have. Brian Brown, Zachari- Zachariah Branch, Antonio Williams, Cade Klubnick, Arch Manning, Connor Wegman. Like, that is just within the couple, first couple picks after him, and uh, like you know how aggressive I am taking, like freshmen. I would. I, there are a lot of players. Like I don't think Jonte Cook is going, going there. Um, Jackson Arnold. Like there are a lot of players that I would. I would rather have than Bleak Davis. So I, I sat down. I actually watched film today. Um, believe it or not, which is not something that I, I traditionally like. I am not a film watcher 
as much in terms of like evaluating all 22 film. I did, I did a little bit of today watching Malik Neighbors. What is Malik Neighbors really good at? Like, what, where, where is he above average at? Because I think the answer when I watch him is he's got the dog in him. So, like, he's a 61% contested catch rate. But for a guy who's, like, six foot, like, what does that really matter? Like, yeah, he's really aggressive at the catch point. And I actually think he's really, really good, and he's willing to outwork others. So I think that's, like, a, a trait in itself. But he's inside, outside versatility. I'm not sure he is a position where, like, he excels in, in one. Like, 60th percentile, percentile yak, 63 percentile dominator, 73rd percentile yards per team pass attempt. Like, those are fine numbers, but they're not like, elite and then um, Stassbaum pulled this number yesterday, which was 2.8 yards average separation, which is actually like really poor. I, I, I haven't found how much that translates to the NFL, so I don't want to make that the end all be all. But you really want like three and a half to 3.8 yards per, per uh, of yard separation per reception. And I don't see that on this film either. Like, I don't think he's a particularly good route runner. He's fine. And I think he maybe could be better. I don't think he runs great routes. Like, I think he's a six-foot contested catch guy. And that reminds – he's not Tyler Wallace, but it reminds me of, like, a very similar prototype of, a, like, a short contested catch guy. Like, that's the best thing that he does. I mean, I th- I do think that he is a decent route runner. I, I think a lot of it comes he's fi- from – He's fine. He's not yeah, bad. He's I don't not want, bad. I don't want to slander, slander Malik Neighbors. I, th- I think a lot of it is – projecting with neighbors and I, I will admit some of that is for me like I, so I did start out at the beginning of the offseason with him fairly high for me I know he was in my top 10 I have dropped him some but I do think some of it is he succeeded in at least in my opinion a bad passing offense it, it was not good when you have Jaden Daniels as your quarterback and you still succeed I think that is uh, a testament to you in some way especially against some SEC defenses and I think that he can improve. Now, I don't know that the ceiling is there. And I, and I do think some of it is, at least in the community that I've seen in the Debbie community, I think the reason people are high on him as well is the fact that, like, everybody expected Kayshawn to have that year and it ended up being neighbors. So, like, maybe it's a little bit of that. And I'll be honest, there's someone that we'll discuss later, at least for my end on the pipeline part as well. I think LSU is kind of getting a reputation for developing wide receivers as well. So, like, maybe that's what pushes him up a little bit. And lastly, I think it's just a it, – it's kind of a weird time. We've talked about this a lot on mo, a lot of – it's a, in a lot of these episodes. It's a weird time in college football for all of us. Like, there's a lot of guys that I think have a lot of question marks, and so you're probably pushing up guys like neighbors who have these question marks that we don't necessarily love, but you're like, well, I can kind of see it if I look through, you know, my new glasses. I can kind of see where he's going, and so that, that's where I think maybe neighbors gets pushed up. And I, I think, yeah, that's that's a good point, right? Like, he's part of the COVID class, and the COVID class yeah. was not only impossible to, develop, to evaluate, period, but he played like seven on seven, like really terrible competition in Louisiana. So like we didn't have a predefined box to like put him in. And so he comes in and he dominates out of nowhere, out, like outproduces Kayshawn, who's way better than him. I also question whether or not he's an elite athlete, right? Like just so right, many right. things. And we want this class to we you I mean you talked about this earlier when we talked about uh Will Shipley at the beginning, but like we want this class to be better than it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, and I, so he's I, I probably being pushed up because of that, right? Yeah, like I, there, there's so many players in the next class, and probably even 2026 class that I would have, to have over him now. But like, you need to get a. It feels like you need to rank a player in the 2024 class high. And like he kind of fits that bill. I don't know. I don't want. I like. I don't dislike him. I just don't like him in the second round of 
of C2C Debbie drafts. No, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know that I'd take him that high either. So I'm sticking with the re- a wide receiver position, and, and I'm going to have a theme here for all three of my guys. My next one is Adam Randall, who is also coming back from an ACL injury and is currently wide receiver 18 coming off the board with an ADP of 51. Here are some of the guys going behind him. Now, these first couple are questionable, but Mario Williams at 56, JJ, Jalen McMillan at 61, JoJo Earl at 61, but then here's some interesting ones. Jerry on Dickey at 63, Bo Collins, who Easy. is getting reps over him with the ones right now at Clemson, 63, Devontae Walker, 65, Dorian Singer, 65, Chris Marshall, 67, scroll down a little bit more, Dane Key, 79, Malik Benson, 85, Carnell Tate, 89, Keon Coleman, 90, Adam Randall, I think, is also falling into something you mentioned earlier, Chris, in the take lot. Adam Randall's a very talented wide receiver. I've... Shouldn't say I have no doubt about that because we haven't really had a chance to see it. I believe he can be talented. I reported tonight on the spring practice report, so I don't know how many people have seen this. I just saw it got posted today on the Clemson. uh, It was from the Clemson wide receiver coach, and I do not remember his name. I think I saw Shane in the chat earlier, so maybe he can tell me uh, what his name is. He mentions Cole Turner. Cole Turner's been getting a lot of love on these spring practice reports as well, running with the ones uh, that Shane just mentioned in the chat. He mentioned, and, and, and the, the quote is, I want to get this right, so I'm actually going to go pull it up. I did not have this, this ready, but he mentioned, we knew that he was dealing with um, a setback in his knee, was what was reported earlier on, correct? He was dealing with a setback in his knee, and so we were like, okay, well, you know, hey, a setback, he'll, he'll be, you know, okay, fine. He came in a little bit heavier. We'll see what happens. Here is what he actually said. The wide receiver coach today said he's gone through it. Now, he's got great parents around him, so I do believe he's got a great foundation of family, faith, and work ethic. He recovered from his ACL fairly quickly, but then he had the issue with his other knee and another surgery. He's recovering well, Mm -mm. but we're having to tell him to slow down. What other issue with his other knee and what other surgery? Because as far as I know, he never had a surgery he was recovering from the ACL that wasn't completely torn. So what exactly happened? Is I how many times do we need to talk I, about this Clemson? I didn't want to go the down the, the, I didn't, I didn't want to go get witch, our tinfoil hats, but and the witch doctors and Dr. Buzzard in Buford, they take that trip down from the from Clemson upstate South Carolina, go all the way down to Buford, low country and do some hoodoo magic on their on their players every time. But yeah, I I'm to, I, I don't want to say I'm totally out on Adam Randall, but like th- there are red flag there are a lot of red flags popping up. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna butcher this quote, but at wide receiver 18, if you look through rose colored glasses, all red flags look the same. All yeah. flags look the same. Well, I mean, so, just, yeah, that's that's great. That that's so aggressive. I love Antonio Williams too. Like, I'm not out on this Clemson wide receiver room. Oh, like, he's like getting all the like d- d- dude stuff. We 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 know that. And, and I'm like, oh, he's so no, he's so good. Yeah, there's no reason to bail on Antonio Williams, but for me, that's just high. I mean, 51. So those are the players going around him yeah, that like people are making the decision on. Kyle McCord, Ruben Owens, Catron Allen, Damian Martinez, Jadon Blue, Trey Benson, Trevor Etienne, Jatavian Sanders, and then I mentioned all those other wide receivers. Like, 
Give me almost all I'd of those players I just – yeah, yeah, all of them over Adam Randall. So, to me, that's crazy. I think it is a lot of I, – I honestly don't even know that it's take lock with him. I think it's the excitement of, of Garrett Riley coming over and everybody just saying, oh, Adam, he'll be fine. He's going to be back. He's going to be good. And then – we don't know that, and I'm seriously worried about that the, the, that fact. So my last one real quick, another player who tore his ACL who I cannot believe is still going this high, and that is Andrew Paul. Look, I get it. Like, we loved him too. We we had him fairly high in our rankings. He was beating out Branson Robinson in spring last year, right, which, you know, it sucks that he, he unfortunately got injured because he probably would have been the one playing. He's coming off the board as RB24 at 72.5. We don't know that this dude's even staying at Georgia right now, or if he does, where he's going to be in that room. Now, we know Kendall Milton is out for spring. Branson Robinson's going to be the guy. Have any of you guys heard anything positive about Andrew Paul? Because I haven't. I've looked at the Georgia spring reports. I haven't seen anything outside of Branson Robinson looks great and Kendall Milton's not playing. There's not a word about Andrew Paul yet. You guys are still taking him as a top 24 running back in your startup drafts? Why do you do why why are you doing this to yourselves? Like I get it if you're hoping that he transfers out and goes to like a G five or another power five school that needs a running back. I have no doubt that if he's healthy, he's going to be very good. But give me Carson Steele, who's going over fifteen picks behind him. Give me Javante Barnes, who's going twenty picks behind him. Rasheen Ali, who's going almost thirty picks behind him, who has a shot to be an RB one this year, as you and Nate talked about today on on CTN. Or I think that dropped on Monday, but I listened to it today on CTN. Like, <laughs> it's incredibly insane to me to take a guy like that who's coming off a serious injury that we've heard not one, not, not even positive we've heard nothing about him not a single note about him and you guys are taking him as rb24 off the board get it together, yeah it's guys. get it it's, together it's it's take lock it's either it's so uh, I, i'm gonna just call this a public service announcement because that's how i feel about it how we feel about a player 12 months prior we were really high on andrew paul compared to industry consensus and it, we, we probably end up being wrong because of injuries. Um, or maybe he's just not that good. I don't want to put it all to that. We were really high on Quinshawn Judkins. That worked out. Generally speaking, though, 12 months about how we feel about a player does not dictate how we currently feel. I think we are all substantially lower in Andrew Paul than we were 12 months ago. And so I think just adjusting quicker on the fly in Debbie and C2C is really important. I think almost every player that you have named is a product of, of that, of just not adjusting quick enough. Yeah. I mean, again, with, with him players going, uh, Oh, never mind. They are going ahead of him. I was about to say, I think some of the, the freshmen are going behind him, but like, I just, yeah, I, I I don't. Not if I'm not if I'm not if I'm in that mock draft. Well, I know that. No, they're going pretty far ahead of him. I thought I was thinking of the wrong person. They are Justice Haynes, Roger Robinson. They are definitely going ahead of him. All right, it's time to get into Felix's favorite part of the show. Housekeeping. Do you know what this is from, by the no, way? I'm just gonna you. let it go. Leave Housekeeping. Come back in an hour. Housekeeping, you want towels? Need sleepy. Housekeeping, you want mint for pillow? Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. I have no idea what that is. That's 
It's Tommy Boy, man. Oh, I've never, never seen, seen Tommy, Tommy Boy? Boy. Oh, that's just disgusting. no. I thought it was. I thought it was going to be the uh, the Peter Griffin housekeeping. I've never for I don't Family Guy. Think I've actually seen that one. I've watched a lot of Family Guy. I don't think I've actually. I'll have to go look that up now. I can add that one in there, so it's not the same housekeeping sound. But anyway, on, on I know that one. I I have not seen Tommy Boy, which is I I generally watch a lot of movies, one. but I have not seen it. That's disappointing. Number one, I'm not. I'm not. Gonna I know. You, you got time to watch Arena destroy people's lives on Love Is Blind, but you don't have you know an hour and a half to watch Tommy Boy. I have. I have a. I am. I am married. I am a married man. Your wife will to... like it. It's a funny movie. Oh, I don't even. My wife no, hates Love Is Blind. We're going completely off the rails here. My wife hates Love Is Blind. I love it. I oh. Oh, my my wife and I like we we are excited. So we were so pumped on Friday night to sit down and uh and watch Love Is Blind. We watched we watched all five episodes of Love Is Blind on mm-hmm. Friday night last week. Oh, and we and this we didn't do anything on Friday night. And we watched uh the first episode of Yellow Jackets, which if you haven't seen Yellow Jackets, I need to watch it. I need to watch phenomenal. it. I've heard it's phenomenal. All right, we're gonna get back oh, to housekeeping. Awesome. Stick around for the after show. We will talk a little Love is Blind with Barnabas, who probably hasn't even watched the show because he's an intelligent individual. Chris, give everybody uh the housekeeping updates. Oh, I, I thought I got out of it. All right. Rates and reviews are really important for the show. Make sure that if you are watching us on YouTube, make sure that you like and subscribe to the YouTube page as well. What it what it means when you rate and review is that we can get the show to expanded audiences. We're only two away from 100. Two people that are listening to the show can just go into Apple, rate. Again, I have said five-star reviews. I don't care what you say in the review. It could be anything. As long as it's five stars is what we're looking for. We're only two away from 100. Super, super important mark for us. We want to expand this market. If it helps us reach one person, that is incredible. We just want to expand the college fantasy space, the C2C space, get more people involved because we're trying to grow a brand and an industry and something is going, the floodgates are eventually going to open and we want all of us and all of our listeners to be in on the ground floor. Also, if you're listening to us on a uh, on the C2C feed on a podcast network, we have a ton of great content coming to you every single day. We have Chasing the Natty, which I was on with Nate Marquise this week, which, you know, did we usurp Jared? It's quite, Jared's question being asked. Um, I'm not asking it, but people are. Uh, we have Campus Life. We have Back to Devi, which is this, it, which is the inferior Devi podcast on the feed. We have this show, Devi Debate. We have Canton Bound, which comes out on Thursdays. And we have official – or Fridays, and then we official that comes out on Saturdays. A ton of great stuff, plus our YouTube channel, which has Matt doing his spring practice report updates. I, I incredible amount of content being produced daily. But make sure that you're giving us rate and reviews because we are only two away from 100. Yeah, we are trying to help you guys, so help us, please. It, it, it means a lot to us as well. You don't have to write anything; just give us a review. If, if you know writing something takes too long. All right, let's look at the top pipeline team. So we decided for this discussion, we'll look at some of the teams that are putting a ton of NFL talent into the NFL. You know, I've mentioned before, I don't pay attention to the defensive side of the ball at all anymore, so there will not be any of that for me because I just, I'm I'm not good at it, and I'm tired of, of trying to pretend like I know what I'm talking about in certain things. We are not talking Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State. We obviously know that those three teams are very good pipelines going to the NFL. So we're going outside of that. Moxley, give me one of your teams that you believe is a pipeline to the NFL. Yeah, so I think different teams excel at different things. Um, 
So I kind of focus this discussion, and I, I think you did as well, on teams that are really good at producing single position groups. Um, and I don't think anybody is better than Iowa and producing tight ends. Let, let, since Kurt Ferentz has taken over, let's just read this list of notable tight ends. This isn't even everybody that's been drafted. George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Dallas Clark, CJ Fedorowicz, Tony Moyaki, and then Sam Laporta, who will probably go round two. The future is Luke Lachey, who is, in fact, Nick Lachey's cousin, uh, to bring it back to our Love is Blind discussion, and Eric Gall, who is a transfer in from Michigan. I mean, I don't know how you get any better than just trusting the Iowa staff to pump out tight ends. And half of them aren't even quality producers in college. They just are really good athletes or just understand the position, right? Like both Fant and Hawkinson were first round picks. George Kittle was not. Like George George Kittle was just a dude who knew how to play tight end and had very little production. And so I, I... I just don't know how you can't trust the staff when it looks like you can look at tight ends. I'm like, I've drafted Luke Lachey in CFF drafts, and I'm like, well, I might take him in a, a CTC drafter or two, just knowing how this offense works. It'd be even better if your mic was on, though. It would be. I was trying to finish <laughs> doing uh, some of my research that I failed to do before the show because I was enthralled with episode five. I was I was enjoying the drama and I did not realize how late it was getting. So I do agree with you though. It is um, a pipeline that we invest into on C two C, right? Like C two C side of things, you're looking to see what tight ends are at Iowa because you think that they've got a chance to possibly go into the NFL. So I went with LSU wide receivers. I mentioned earlier when we were having the Malik Neighbors conversation, I'd bring them back up. I really feel like they have become a school, regardless of the head coach, it seems as well, that just continually feeds this pipeline going into the NFL. So, I mean, you've got players like Dwayne Bowe, Jarvis Landry, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Odell Beckham Jr., Terrace Marshall, who, who probably is like the worst out of that group because Dwayne Bowe was actually fairly uh, good for a decent amount of time in the NFL. And then you've got coming up now Malik Neighbors, and we believe that Shelton Sampson could be really good as well, the freshman that they have um, in there. And they just brought in a guy as well into the, that's going to play in the slot for the life of me. Cannot remember what his name is, but he came over from Alabama. Aaron Anderson comes over from Alabama who has a chance to, to play for them in the slot, right? Possibly could be very good. They continue to pump out these wide receivers and put them into the NFL, and I think that people gravitate toward that. Like I wouldn't, I, I think that's part of the reason Malik Neighbors gets the love he does from the overall Debbie community because he is he is an LSU wide receiver, and I would not be surprised if Kayshawn Boutte gets even somewhat decent draft capital that he'll be elevated up in rookie drafts because of that as well. Because people will look at him and say, "Well, hell." Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson all figured it out coming out of LSU. Kayshawn Boutte will do it too. Or sorry, it's Kayshawn Booty. I forgot. That's how you actually say it. So LSU yeah. wide receivers well, for me. Uh, his athletic testing was booty. That's that's at least true. <laughs> you set me up. Um, I, which one do I want to do first? I'll, I'll do this one first. Mike Norvell, wherever he is, and running backs. Period. I Mike Norvell might be the most creative run scheme guy in college football. Like I, I think Kyle Shanahan has that. At... I was looking for that just for your boot your booty joke. I couldn't find it. It took too long, but I, I had to play it anyways. 
Okay. So we're only like 20, 15, 20 only, seconds later. Only cool. 30 seconds later. You know, we're on a delay <laughs> over here, folks. That's true. Yeah. I, so basically, wherever wherever Mike Norvell is, like I want to be investing in that running back position. Like he's so creative with what he does. Like he pulls tight ends, tackles. Like it, it, it's just incredible how he sets his running backs up for success. And we've seen that in the NFL level. Even when he was, when he was at Memphis, he put – Antonio Gibson, Tony Pollard, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Daryl Henderson, and Patrick Taylor, all into the NFL, who are currently all still in the NFL. Next guy up, Trey Benson. I think a lot of people are really high on Trey Benson. He has really nice efficiency marks from last year, and I, I think that he could have a big year this year and be a riser in Debbie drafts. And I I don't know where I stand on him per se, but I do think he's a player that's st- whose stock is going to rise we look at the overall Debbie community. Some people are already really high on him, and I think that's a good a good call given just how creative Norvell is when it comes to the run scheme. That is a very good call, and I'm going to be very intrigued to see what Trey Benson does this year because I know there's a lot of people who are getting fairly excited about him this year in what we already talked about with Will Shipley, kind of a weaker um, running back class, like where Will, Will Shipley, where Trey Benson could end up kind of projecting for them. So I went with – it's a little bit of a cheat. Kind of, but I, I went both ways with this on Lincoln Riley, but also USC QBs because they have technically put in Matt Lyon, Cody Kessler, Sam Darnold have all gone into to the NFL. And while none of them have necessarily been successful, Carson Palmer, Rayshard. Carson Palmer, there we go. Hey, and he was successful. So the one. There we go. Uh, I do think that that is going to change now with Lincoln Riley being there, specifically, obviously, with Caleb Williams going into the NFL now. And I think you're going to see a steady pipeline of QBs moving forward as long as Lincoln Riley stays at USC. You know, I personally don't think Dylan Rayola is going there. So I think Malachi Nelson will be the next. There will be somebody in the 2020, you know, five rookie or freshman that ends up going there that's going to be a highly rated quarterback. Uh, They're going to continue to be that. And I think what is also going to help them is being in the Big Ten. It is considered to be the second best conference behind uh, the SEC to a lot of different schools. And although it's still weird to say that they'll be in the Big Ten, they're likely going to be a playoff team as well moving forward with Riley there. So I think just that also helps elevate the play for the quarterbacks. So I went with USC slash Lincoln Riley quarterbacks. All right. I got one more in this one. Is it obvious? I don't know. Maybe. Penn State, I mean, Dwight Galt, who had been there long time, uh, strength and conditioning coach, he retired in 2022, and Chuck Losey took over. And it, if one, if you've seen his mustache, like top tier elite level mustache, like dude, dude spends a lot of time on his mustache in the morning, and it shows. It looks really good. I mean, he's got the curls at the end and everything. Good looking mustache. Um, well, this strength and conditioning coach job has just been like gold for this program. I mean, there's so many players who have posted elite athleticism in the NFL uh, when they've tested at the combine or they tested at Penn State, just breaking record, like breaking records. Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Mike Gusecki, Jahan Dotson, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley added almost 50 pounds. I think he added 43 pounds by the from where he was on 24-7 to the time that he graduated from Penn State and became an elite athlete. Miles Sanders, the future is super bright. He already has elite athlete Nick Singleton, uh, Katron Allen, who I think can even get better athletically. Then I really like the the tight end, who I don't know whose last name, how to pronounce, Andrew 
Rapelier. Rapelier, yeah. Get, yeah. yeah Ooh, right. I got it right. Good job. I, yeah. I, I mispronounced it last last time, so I, I've learned. Um, it can't be I as bad as uh, Felix and Christopher Visna. So, or, yeah, Felix, I'm sorry. Yeah, Felix and Christopher Visna. What what do you, what do you think of, uh, ta- what is it, Tavion? Randolph? Right. Tavion Randolph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, one of the one of the best the G five receivers in the in the world in the world. The uh, Northern Illinois receiver Trayvon yes. Trayvon Rudolph. Um, if you are unfamiliar, but yeah, I mean, it, like the strength and conditioning program is just incredible. And I it, like Losi had been uh, an assistant on that staff going back to Vanderbilt, so I don't think it's going to be any drop off from from where we were either. And so if like if people didn't know about like Galt's retirement and whatnot like i feel really good that it, this stuff is going to continue moving forward so my last one again is um a little bit of a pairing here but i do think that this team has actually done a very good job of putting a ton of offensive talent into the draft over the past years but it has dipped a little bit and that is texas but i do believe that sark is going to bring that background so if you go look at their quarterback sam ellinger colt mccoy chris sims none of those really panned out in a massive way for you uh, if if you have them on your fantasy teams, Vince Young didn't really either, although I think he was probably a little bit ahead of his time. I think if he would have been drafted now, he might have been a decent quarterback in the NFL. Then you look at the running backs. You know, Say what you want about Donta Foreman, who unfortunately blew his Achilles first year in the NFL. He's actually had some pretty good moments here the past couple of years on different teams. You've got Jamal Charles, Cedric Benson, Ricky Williams, Eric Metcalf. Shout out to the Browns actually getting one of those guys. Then you go up to the wide receiver position. Now, and a lot of these guys haven't really panned out. Now, Jordan Shipley, Marquise Goodwin, Devin Duvernay, or Colin Johnson, but they still all got decent draft capital. And then you look at what Sark has been able to bring in over the past couple of years and what he's likely going to put into the NFL in a Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning, a Jonte Cook, a Xavier Worthy. I mean, Jordan Whittington was getting a ton of draft buzz last year. I mean, may, may may only be a fifth-round pick next year, or sixth-round pick, but still putting him into the NFL. Jatavian Sanders, who's likely going to be a high-end second-round pick in the NFL draft next year. Like, there's a lot of talent on this team. I think Sark is going to continue to build that and get that. So I think Texas is actually... I would not be surprised if we do this exercise again in a year or even two that we have to start putting Texas up in the discussion with those other three. Like, yeah, you can't use Texas as, as a team anymore because they're just going to continue to do this. They've, they've really done a great job recruiting over the last two years, especially on the offensive line, which is going to influence a lot of their skill position players. Specifically one, I can't even call him the golden mullet anymore, but one coin yours, who's going to be the Prince we promised this year. And, just so one of you knows. I have a lot of those prints who under-promised tweets bookmarked. They'll be making a return this season. Let's go to the projecting the 2024 first-round ADP. So you threw this on the show sheet. We're going to – so do we want to each go who, like, we would take one? Do we want to try and come to a – like, do we want to say who we each have if it's a different player and then try to come to a consensus? How, how do you want to do this? I'm, I mean, we could do however we want. I, I, feel I, like I think we almost, have a lot of the same names, but at different orders. We we do. I think the only name that we have, I think we only have one name different. Let's see here. And our whole sheet, Zachary. Branch I have been, and Barry. And I have. I don't have Branch in there either. Oh, uh, well, we okay. We finally have two names that are different. Um, yeah, we could. We can. Like, I'll listen. 
Let's talk about let's talk about each each position. Okay. Or each uh, draft let's slot. It. All right. I got Nick Singleton number one. Uh, I think he's the best running back in college football, and I think people feel more confident projecting the running back position versus the quarterback position uh, re- recently, and I, I don't think that's unfair. And I think that Singleton is a special type of athlete that might deserve that sort of treatment. That, that's why I have him one. So I don't disagree with you on that part, and it probably should be the number one pick. I went with Drew Alar because I do think he's going to come in, have a really good season this year, and we've just seen when it comes to these quarterbacks, especially when you're not sure what the rest of them will look like, people inflate them, right? Like they end up going and taking him one. So I put Drew Alar at one. I actually have Singleton at two. So I am fine putting Singleton up at one because I don't think that's necessarily a bad call. But I think Alar is going to... I've said before on this show, and and I believe even on our BSN show, like I would not be surprised if Penn State ends up having like the best offense in the Big Ten this year because of Drew Alar and that running game. I'm all in. I think he's going to have an amazing season. So I, I have Alar ranked as well, and I have him uh, fourth. Fourth, okay. But I am not. Uh, basically, the the tier is pretty pretty large there. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with that. Number two, I got Dante Moore. I know you have more insane for a backup quarterback. How how are you taking a backup quarterback um, at two? He's gonna start in it's gonna remember start this week is, one. Remember this is 2024 ADP. Week and one? he's going to start week one of 2024. I'm clipping so yes, that I feel better. where it says week I will find you at some point saying 2023, <laughs> and that's going all over the place. Dante Moore will start week one, 2023. Go ahead, Chris. So yeah, I so I have him. I, I just think he is the the safest, highest floor, most college ready player of of, of the group. Um, and I think we're gonna. I, I think he gets starts at the end. I don't know if he gets starts at the end of the year, but he gets, certainly gets playing time at the end of the year. Um, and I think he'll prove to be like a really high riser. So I actually I have Dante Moore second behind Nick Singleton. I don't really have an issue with that. So I put Singleton at two. I have Dante Moore at seven, and I, I put him there mainly because of the semi-lack of rushing upside, and I, I don't know how people will value him. I do think he starts this year at some point and, and plays well. Um, I do technically think Malachi Nel- not technically. I do think Malachi Nelson is a better quarterback, so I do have him ranked ahead of him as well. But I, I do think, we're, uh, regardless, we both have him in our top 12 tier here, so I think he definitely goes first round. Um, I'll give you my three, and that's Judkins. And, and I just don't see any way he doesn't have another amazing season. You know, I know that they're talking about how Ulysses Bentley is having a good spring and everything. I don't see how he takes really any carries away from Judkins. Like, maybe he gets some receiving work, which I do kind of hate because I want to see Judkins use more in the receiving game. I think that's kind of the only question we don't have answered from him at the moment. But he's working with the footwork king. His his footwork, in my opinion, looks so much better this year than it did last year. I think he goes out there and smashes again this year. And as you mentioned, it's so much easier to predict the running back position moving forward. Like, I think he's going to be in the conversation with Nick Singleton as, like, the best backs in that class. And I do think that he is going to be valued that highly that people probably take him in the top five pick. Yeah, I, I mean, I have him five. So, I mean, we're really splitting hairs here, right? Yeah. Um, he's almost already valued as a top five or a top eight pick. So, I, I don't know that the – I mean, he's never – I don't think he's ever going to pass Nick Singleton. No, yeah, I agree. 
I don't think he's going to pass Drew Allar. Um, I personally don't believe that he's going to pass Dante Moore. But, I mean, we can agree, disagree. But So, like, the ceiling for him is not the first overall pick in 2024 Debbie C2C drafts. It, it is a – he's probably a top five selection, though. Because even in the limited work that we saw him in receiving, he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, his, he, at least his efficiency metrics are pretty good. So we just want to see see more of that. So I, I, I agree. I mean, I have him five. I'm not – we're just splitting hairs at that point, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, who do you have at three? I have Cedric Baxter, um, who you have, I don't want to say a 11. lot lower. I mean, we're only talking, uh, yeah, we're only talking 12 picks, but I, I mean, I think he assumes the starting role at Texas. And I think that having the starting running back at, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian offense is, is really, really valuable. And I think Baxter is the best running back in the class. So I, I, I can be amenable to move him around like a couple spots, but I think he should be at least top six uh at least at least for me just the way that i i I value things because i think in 2024 he's going to be the rb1 and i think you're gonna be looking at him for elite cff production so if we're talking about cgc league that matters and then i i really like his outlook for a uh for the nfl i just i just think he's like a really really talented back so maybe that's a little bit too much projecting but yeah having him third is 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 where i landed so I have him down at 11 because while I agree with you, he's going to be the starter and, and it's something I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how this running back, you know, works out. The running back room works out regardless at Texas. Cause Sark keeps bringing up the fact that he's never had a less than thousand yard rusher whenever he's been an offensive play caller. I think he, he clearly, that means a lot to him. So he's brought it up in like four different interviews. <laughs> so I think that Baxter is definitely going to be the guy in 2024, but I feel like that all the guys I have ahead of him will be valued more because we'll likely have already seen some kind of production for him. Or, for instance, the one you won't will be two players. The quarterback at Texas, which I feel like people will value regardless because of his name and him being the starter there. And then Malachi Nelson, who's going to be the starter at USC. Where I've, Again, I just feel like quarterbacks, especially in this format, are valued a little bit higher because if you get that one then you kind of feel set and you don't care as much, at least for a lot of the teams that I see. It seems like as long as people get that one quarterback at the top of that draft that they believe is going to be the guy, they don't care as much about getting and building out that position. Like, they're fine getting CFF guys. Maybe they'll grab another guy who has some value later, where I feel like RB is a little bit easier to find guys at. So that's why I put him that low. Um, Really, the only running backs I have over him are Judkins and Branson, and and Branson, I think we're going to see a lot out of him at this year at Georgia, and I think that's going to vault him up because again he's coming from you could argue RBU. We didn't talk about them in the pipelines because they're one of the top teams, but that's kind of where a lot of the running backs are coming out of. So I, I would uh, I would think that he's going to be valued a little bit higher than than Baxter personally next year. I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I have him like I mean, I have him six. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I and, and I basically echo everything you said, right? Like, this is a a guy who, um, if you're a size speed specimen, which, I mean, is he the same as Broderick Robinson? Maybe not. No. Which is, <laughs> which is, yeah, he's pretty dang close. He's he's a really really athletic running back, and he looked great when we saw him this year. I mean, if you looked at TCU, basically quit in the national championship. But if you saw him, he looked pretty good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I have a, I have him sixth. I have I have no issue with having Branson 
Robinson, you know, and in my a top 12, I just, I think he's probably a lock in the top eight. I really, really like that. So my number four, you don't have on your list at all. And that is, I do not Luther burden. Now I still believe, I still believe in burden. I think that he is going to have a really good season this year. It seems like the offense is kind of, you, you've talked about the offensive coordinator, coming, or I'm sorry, not the, the wide receivers coach coming in and what he's been able to do with guys like Jalen Moreno Cropper at Fresno State. Luther Burton has gotten a ton of praise all through spring, apparently had a good spring practice game. And I do think the big issue or the big difference will be better quarterback play this year. And I think Luther Burton can take that step up. So I still have him there. I expect him to have a really good season this year. And if he does that, it's kind of hard to fade a guy who is likely going to be perceived as an NFL first-round pick, especially with the talent that he has. We had him ranked very highly, which does matter, um, especially in this community. And so I think he's going to retain his value, even though he did have you know, not a great freshman season, though I do think it has been a tad bit underrated how good he was. You know, you and Austin have done a lot with your year one zero theory. And you guys have talked a lot about how like it's rare for a wide receiver to hit every single threshold. And Luther Burden did that last year. Like that is rare to see. And so for you guys to tell me that with all the work you put in, like to me means we should stop underrating what Luther Burden did last year and start giving him the praise that he deserves. So he's all the way, maybe four is too high. I'll give you that. But I think, I still believe he deserves to be in the top 12. Fair enough. I, I mean, I can see moving Barry and Brown or Zachariah Branch out for him. Um, I just don't know what he's going to do at Missouri to really elevate that stock. So, I mean, he would be my, he would be 13 for me to be like totally frank. Like I, I would have franked him 13th. So Zachariah um, Branch is out. That's what I'm hearing. Zachariah Branch out, Luther Burden in at 12. Or Barry and Brown. But yes, that, yes. I love how who's your, you, who's your five? Evan Stewart, who you have at seven. So we're fairly close on that. Again, amazing season last year. Sucks that he's got the injury and will be out all of spring, but it doesn't sound like it's anything long-term. I think he's going to be fine. You know, don't know what to expect with the Petrino slash actual Jimbo Fisher's offense um, that Bobby Petrino is just pretending to play call. But I do think him having that connection with Connor Wigman last year looked good, and I think they just continue that. So I'm, I'm all in on Evan Stewart still. All right, no argument for me there. I mean, I have him seven. I, I really, really like him. I obviously have him higher than Luther Burden. I think that he's just a really yeah. talented player. I, I just, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do um, when he comes back. I, I mean, I think he'll be totally healthy. And hopefully, if Jimbo is not calling plays, we'll see something really exciting. So well, we'll see. It sounds like he's going to be. So just to, to, to speed this along here, because I see. Barnabas is like yelling in the background. He clearly wants to be up on the show here. So we're, we're going to get him up here. Oh, right no. Uh, he's going to come yell at us and how much we've messed up already, which is fair. When Felix isn't here, I feel like I can just say random things and nobody will catch me. We both have Arch in our top 12, Malachi Nelson. Uh, we already mentioned, um, who was it? Who am I missing here? Cedric Baxter we both had in ours. So yes. our big difference... Oh, the, the interesting one. So there's two. I want to get to the one difference we have in here, and then we'll get to the big one. You have Zachariah Branch. I have Jontae Cook. That's probably our difference on the, the freshman wide receivers. Now, we've kind of yeah. talked about this before. I think it was actually last week. You brought up that you think Zachariah Branch can ha has a better shot this year of producing. I 
don't remember I said John Tay Cook, or I think I said Brandon Ennis, but I do believe John Tay Cook has a shot to, to be really good for the Texas offense this year as well. To personally, I'm fine with either one being. I think one of them, if not possibly both of them, will be in the top 12 next year, especially if both produce for their teams as freshmen. Yeah, I I, I agree. I feel more comfortable with Zachary Branch, like I've, I've said. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm not going to dog John Tay Cook because I actually think he's a really, really talented player. Um, the I don't call the elephant in the room. but It's the elephant, elephant in the room. Go ahead. Or is it the... What's a Husker? The Husker in the room? If, if, the if, Husker if in the room? Go, the Husker if he goes room? the Husker? If he goes the Husker route? We both have Dylan Rayola in our top 12. Yes. Who, even this year, there's not a freshman that cracks the top 12. And now we think this is a really talented quarterback class. And I've actually been wanting to take Malachi Nelson there, but that's not, that's not how ADP has sh- shaken out. Yeah. Um, Dylan Rayola is better, better than Malachi Nelson, though. At least... At least it's don't pretty darn close. It's close. I, so I, we, say, I mean, we both have, we both have Bill Mariola there yes. though. So we, we at least got to believe that he's, he's close enough to Malachi or Dante Moore, or March Manning, whoever you prefer out of that group. Cause I mean, I have, I have him 11. You have him 12. I think the name value alone is going to push him up there regardless of where he goes because we all we have heard about Dylan Rayola for now, what is going to now be two years at this point is that he's the next Patrick Mahomes. I do think he is very talented. Um, again, take this for, for however you want. This is based solely on junior film. He did grade out lower than Malachi for me. Now, he did grade in higher than Dante and Arch. If I had to have put him in this class, he would have been my QB two. Uh, he came in about... Uh, I want to say like a point in point, 1.7, something like that, behind uh, Malachi Nelson. Doesn't mean he can't be better. He transferred high schools. He is now no longer um, at Chandler. He is at Pinnacle. So we'll see what happens uh, this year. He's going to be a player that I hope to watch a ton of this the this year on Friday Night Lights. We'll probably talk a lot about him on the Friday Night Lights show. I think he probably has a chance to be better than Malachi, but... What will be interesting, and I want to ask you this because I made the joke about the Husker. If he goes Nebraska to the Nebraska route, does that drop him out of the top 12 for you? Because I've brought that up. I don't know if it was on this show or BSN, and uh, and whoever was with me kind of like kicked back. Like, I know Austin does not like that. He's like, no, that's not a good place. I'm, I don't think it would be that bad of a spot with Matt Rule, but would that lower him for you if he goes that route? Opposed to going where? USC? I mean, I if guess he goes to USC, it's obviously worth. I, I mean, I think it's obviously worth landing spot. I don't yeah. think you can sell it otherwise. But Matt rules is doing something kind of special at Nebraska, and I don't, I don't want to act like he solved the program and he's erased everything Scott Frost did in an off season. But he's brought in some really talented dudes yeah. to play outside, and I, I think that that offense could be pretty good. I hate their offense coordinator hire in, in Satterfield, who was at South Carolina the last two years. I just think he's a horrendous play caller, but um, I I kind of hope he doesn't go there, but it's not going to totally sink him for me. I will probably keep him keep him at quarterback one until proven otherwise. So, top twelve, I don't know, but top fifteen probably. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest; it doesn't matter for me if he goes the Nebraska route. Then I'm good with it. I I really don't think that that matters because I do believe in 
Matt Rule and that offense we've seen over some of the years that he was there, specifically at Baylor and Temple, both of his quarterbacks, and I can't for the life of me remember their names, and Barnabas can't fact-check me anymore because he's already here, so it doesn't matter. But both of those guys, <laughs> I'm almost positive, had very good fantasy seasons. So Barnabas is here. Barnabas, tell us. Uh, what, P.J. What Walker was the Temple quarterback. There we go. So P.J. I don't remember who the Baylor quarterback was. Was that – um? Shea, no, the guy what before Shapin. Uh, uh, Stidham. Zeno. Stidham. Was it Stidham? It was Auburn. Yeah, Stidham was Auburn. It wasn't Stidham uh, went to Auburn from Baylor. It wasn't Petty, was it? That was, was it right. Not? Petty was right uh, before Rule, wasn't was he? Petty, the one that moved. No, Petty was there. It... Petty got drafted in the second round. All right, I'll look it up. I'll look okay. it up. Barnabas, Barnabas what you, we you take it away. Tonight? There's no way we we, we 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 got this. Uh, we got this right. What did we get wrong? Um, so actually you, you got a lot, most of it, right. Honestly. Um, I thought it was funny that Mox was channeling his lands from Pulp Fiction, like, Whoa, hold your horses, man. With all your, uh, uh, against consensus guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, Matt is doing his like Cuba Gooding Jr. Impression, like show me the money, right? Like <laughs> he, he's picking guys that have zero production other than Rand Adam Randall, who had 10 catches, right? Like, okay, show me the money. And Mox is like, Whoa, this guy has been one of the top producers in college football and uh we're gonna hold our horses a little bit i'm out on i'm a little bit out on him you know uh, i think one interesting thing to note is uh you know maybe will shipley needs to switch to wide receiver move to texas and find a mccoy to throw him some passes because uh you know um i guess some people don't know he's the shipley's younger brother where you had colt mccoy throwing to jordan shipley and case mccoy throwing to jackson shipley so uh third shipley brother needs to find him a third mccoy brother so um, another interesting note, uh, Malik neighbors were saying, Oh, what does he do well or whatever? Um, how about you try the number 10 uh -oh. all time LSU single season receiving, uh, season. Okay. Number 10 all time. Like, uh, like fine. Okay, sure. But, uh, even shrug, if he doesn't shrug. do anything well, he's, he's already, he's already set the record books in LSU. Um, so I've been told that the people love lists. And so I'm going to go through a couple lists here. People do love um, lists. Yeah. Uh, so we're going uh, off the Malik Neighbors note. Um, we talk about LSU wide receivers coming to the NFL. So LSU all-time receiving leader since 2000 um, is the list I want to go with here, um, where this is a career. And so therefore you have some guys that would be higher if they had played a fourth year. Um, but in fifth place, we have OBJ playing from 2011 to 2013, 2,340 yards. I don't know about you guys. That was actually maybe slightly lower than i expected but anyway moving on uh number four you talked about Dwayne bow uh 2403 yards playing from 03 through 06 four seasons uh you have justin jefferson in third place brandon lafell in second place and any guesses as to who number one is on the all-time career receiving list oh, since God, 2000 is, is it someone oh, that we 2000 oh yeah okay it's not jamar chase is it it can't be jarvis landry can it it's uh, Michael for... Clayton, 2001 through 2000. Oh, I would never. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I would have never. Did they make a lawyer movie one. about Michael Clayton? That's a bad joke. Sorry. Apologies. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Jarvis Landry was hurt his, his first year, so I assume uh, that's why he didn't make the top five. Um, another note, uh, so, um, what's his name? The Penn State, uh, strength and conditioning guy. Um, I just lost his name. I had it searched up somewhere. The, the guy retired, the current guy. 
the the guy who just retired. Just retired. Uh, uh, Dwight Galt. Yeah, yeah, Dwight Galt. Galt. Um, his. Dwight Galt the fourth is actually a Virginia Tech, so maybe we'll see some Virginia Tech yes, guys start, yes. to, uh, start to do. A but I just wanted to go through uh, Penn State Combine winner since 2015, which is when um, Corley or not Corley, what I lost his name again. Um, I'm doing great today. Um, is when he took over since 2015, uh, the best Combine performances. So in the 40, you have Troy Apke, the only white cornerback in the NFL right now, um, at 4.34. <laughs> Um, at 4.34 seconds in the 40, we have uh, Kevin Givens, who is in the two deep uh, on the defensive line in San Francisco. On the bench press, he did 32 reps in 2019. Uh, the vertical, we have Mike Gesicki, 41.5 inches, which, by the way, Troy Apke was right behind with 41 inches in 2018. Uh, Troy Apke also had a great broad jump with 131 inches, which comes out to 10 feet, 11 inches for those uh, counting at How home. Um broad a jump which if you remember byron jones at the world record in the broad jump at at the combine with 12 feet so um not too far off there uh we have grant haley has the all-time uh penn state since 2015 uh shuttle and three cone numbers grant haley uh was kind of a practice squad guy but he had a pretty decent couple first couple years with the giants and um it feels like this guy was drafted forever chris godwin was only drafted in 2017 um but uh he had the best 60 yard shuttle with a number of 11.21 um some interesting notes about mike norvell here uh you know i'm the draft guy right so uh these pipelines are, the, are fun for me um top five rushing seasons under mike norvell can you guys guess the do you guys know who the one player that shows up twice on this list is in the top five can you give me a year yeah what's the uh, year 2017 and 2018. Patrick Taylor. It was uh, Daryl Henderson. So number five, oh, we have Trey Benson. That. Trey I Benson checking I even in mentioned him. Ninety yards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nine touchdowns. Patrick Taylor is actually fourth um, in rushing seasons under Mike Norvell at 1,122 yards and 16 touchdowns. Daryl Henderson has numbers one and three with. Uh, 1,909 yards and 1,154 yards, uh, respectively. And Kenny Gainwell in 2019 had the number two overall rushing season, uh, which I was surprised about considering his NFL uh, production so far. Uh, 1,459 yards and 13 touchdowns. Daryl Henderson in his 1,900-yard uh, season had 22 touchdowns and averaged 8.9 yards per carry. That's that's efficiency numbers right there, right? Uh, we got a little bit of uh, X's and O's stuff that – uh, maybe we can get into at some point. Um, and then finally, we're talking about Iowa tight ends. So uh, Iowa does not have a single receiver all time that has hit 3,000 yards. So ever. Tell, which is, tell me something I don't know. Okay. Uh, which <laughs> I, didn't, well, I didn't know that. For reference, the top receiving careers of all time uh range from ryan broyles is third place uh in four seasons he had 4586 yards trevor insley of nevada fame uh who had 5005 yards although he had 2060 yards in his senior season alone so if you take that out it looks a little different 
Um, but you know, respect to that. Um, and then number one, do you guys know who the top receiving career of all time in in college history is? Oh God, no! I have no. What in year? college in college history? You're gonna say like nineteen fifty four? No, it's it's a, it's very okay. recent. You guys know this name for sure. Iowa? Michael Crabtree. It no, is it... Corey Davis, five thousand two hundred eighty five yards oh, in four uh, seasons. Okay. Um, all of which of note, he does not have any of the top thirty receiving single seasons in college, which means he was productive he played... all of those years. Four. He played. Five? No, four. he played four years. Four, four yeah. years. Four yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so okay. So going back to these tight ends, um, we're t- t- counting the top five uh, receiving careers of Iowa tight ends, and in number or sorry, top four because we're being arbitrary here. Top four. Uh, number four is Dallas Clark. In two seasons, he had twelve hundred eighty-one yards. Um, in number three, we have Scott Chandler, uh, who has eleven hundred forty-three yards technically. He gained 324 yards while listed as a receiver as a freshman um, back in the day. <laughs> that's okay. That's cheating. Continue. Yeah, Marv Cook, uh, which I don't know. I don't expect either of you to know. Um, no kind of an older guy. I think he was in the 50s or 60s or something. Uh, 1,660. Nah, only yards. Felix was alive then, so yeah, none of us know that. <laughs> and in number one, do you guys know the top receiving tight end in Iowa history? Is it someone that we would know? Yes, got to be Fant or Hawkinson. It's I, I think it's I think it's probably probably Fant. No, 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 actually, no, 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 no. It's it's Laporta, isn't it? It is Laporta, seventeen hundred eighty-six oh. yards. He had a great uh, well, season this year. That's what I was trying. Uh, to yeah, he, yeah, he had a really good yeah. season. Also, six rushing yards. I want to throw that in there. Just saying. Um, Noah Fant <laughs> actually was sixth baby. place. Um, okay. Tw- 1,083 yards, and TJ Hawkinson had 1,080 yards in seventh place. So uh, apparently minus three yards gets you all the way up uh, to, what was it, ninth overall instead of uh, 19th, something like that. Where, where did uh, where did George Kittle rank, who had, like, no yards? Uh, <laughs> hold on. I can I can look it up, actually. And scrolling. Oh, hold on. And, and scrolling. scrolling. <laughs> he might not be in the top uh... – oh, here we go. He's 63rd. He had ended oh college <laughs> 737 yards uh granted that's all receivers oh, not tight ends so right. uh i would have to still though through. i was yeah um all i mean his best season, season was what, like 300 yards yeah yeah so yeah um and yeah uh that's, that's what i've got uh if you if you're curious about the type top all-time tight end careers in college as best as i could find it was dennis pitta with 2900 yards in four years nice. And Chase Kaufman of Mizzou fame from 05 to 08. um, And he had 2,659 yards. So uh, not necessarily production wise, but, you know, as an evaluator, I'll tell you the most key important thing about a tight end is the ability to block. You can teach them to receive once they get to the NFL. So. All right. Well, there wheels up. That'll do it for us tonight. That is Barnabas Lee. That is Christopher Moxley. I'm Matt Bruning, and we will talk to you guys again next week. We doing an after show? It's up to you Fine guys. With me. I'm off tomorrow, so uh, <laughs> I can, I can sure. sit here for four hours and re-record this on YouTube if I can't figure out how to get the audio. I'm on tomorrow, so but I don't care. 
But yes, I agree with you, by the way, Brett. I was going to mention that earlier. Kenny Gainwell likely would have had like another massive season if it weren't for COVID, and he ended up opting yep. out. And Jamar Chase would have been on that, that list yeah, probably. for yeah. LC wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised how little Justin Jefferson was on there, to be honest. He didn't really do much until his final year, did he not? Yeah. I don't remember him no. being. So I always talk about this. Justin Jefferson was probably wide receiver one going into that season um, on draft boards. Mm-hmm. And then people forgot about him. People just got tired about hearing about him. And they suddenly got, uh, you know, people came around to hearing about CD and, you know, rugs and all those guys. So Justin Jefferson kind of slid, even though he did CD's fine. Not. Like, yeah. Well, I'm I a also, Cowboys fan, so hang on. <laughs> I also think it was um, it was because he got like a lot of crap for his forty time. I remember that. Like people faded him hard because of his forty time, and they're like, "Oh, he's not good." It's the high school forty time, which was like four seven five. No, no, he ran at the combine, didn't uh, he? I think he ran four, at the four, combine. Three? No, he ran fast in, in the combine or the pro day because I was like, that's what the fuck? That's you. Oh, we're not the after show, right? Yeah, we're on the after show. Oh, that's a curse? Okay. I was like, what the hell? This dude is not that fast. I was trying to bleep you out there. I I could have swore he didn't run that fast. Maybe I'm wrong. I could have swore that's why people faded him because he didn't run fast. No. People just forgot about him. Like, yeah. honestly, like, we had him as wide receiver one going into the season. At least forgot I about- did. And I, I think a lot of people forgot that I respected did as well. But it was just like attention fatigue. They suddenly saw these guys where CD was doing stupid things in the combine and people were like, oh, this is the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread or whatever. And it was like, yeah, but Justin Jefferson was the guy and we just and he had a good season and we just we just left him off the board. Like um, he ended, I think, as my wide receiver four in that year. And I was I looking back, I'm like, I'm not really sure why I did that. (laughs) Like. Yeah, I mean, I think he was my wide receiver three. I know I had Lamb at one, so I, I can't talk much. I, I know I had C.D. Lamb at one. Oh, I mean, I don't regret having C.D. Lamb at one, but I also had C.D. Lamb at one. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't regret it. I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't remember why I, I dropped Jefferson down. I don't remember where I had him, to be honest with you. I don't even remember who else was in that class outside of those two at the moment. Jalen Rager. Uh, Rager. Uh, uh, oh, I probably did have uh, Rager at two, actually. Ugh. Jeez. Uh, Rugs and Smith. I know I wasn't high on Rugs. No, Devonta Smith wasn't in that class. Uh, then it was Waddle. Uh, Waddle was yeah, because was... I was I was yeah. a little bit lower on Waddle. I think I had yeah. Waddle as my five. I was lower on Waddle. No, he would have been higher than Rugs. I... No, Waddle and Smith. Are... No, were not... Waddle and Smith not the same class? I don't hold know. on. I can now bring Waddle like draft draft. What's a? I'll, I'll stall for you. What's a Glockenspiel? Does anybody know? It's a little. Uh... Uh, it's like a marimba but made of metal and smaller and higher pitch okay i was trying to figure out what the sound yeah. was i'm just looking at all my all my sounds here while we're okay Ju- it was judy judy oh, oh judy yeah, the other judy, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. that's the yeah yeah that was definitely thanks, lower on judy. thanks chat oh yeah i didn't know chat's got her back i could have pulled that up i guess yeah waddle. thanks nathan thank you yeah. wait or waddle no, it was Judy. It was Judy. It was Waddle Judy. was the next year. Yeah. Because there was one speed guy. The reason I had Rugs rated so high was because I just yes. simply said, like, yeah, you can't like, teach yeah. speed. Yeah. And so, like, if Waddle was a – well, Waddle had injury concerns coming out. If you guys remember, in that yeah. national championship game, he looked bad. Like, he yeah. looked hurt. He shouldn't have come well, back. He was, he he was obviously, yeah. obviously right hurt in, in that uh, 
than Natty. I just don't necessarily know what they were thinking with with we'll letting him back out there. Yeah, I I, don't know. I didn't get anyone's perspective. Like anyone advising Waddle should have said, yeah, maybe don't come back out. Oh, it's my show now. Um, but yeah, you know, we we can talk about the the rail pass to Devontae Smith is one of the best crafted uh plays in college football and uh there's a reason why that elite 11 always runs the rail drill as their like big separator when it comes to how quarterbacks can execute those passes because it was the pass that won them a national championship right and so uh there's that too um on x's and o's and stuff oh we i wanted to mention malik neighbor's dominator rating while i'm running the show by myself uh dominator rating has nothing to do with uh have with wide receiver ability um that's that's my hot take for today. Um, <laughs> anyone is free to disagree with me, but uh, you know it's the same thing. Uh, it has more to do with uh, coaching opinions than it has to do with evaluative opinions. So um, there's that. And am I am I really running the show by myself? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, apparently Moxley's internet went out, so um, I can talk to you guys about. Um, uh, let's see. Oh. Uh, Matt Bruning uh, incorrectly assumes that I would never watch uh, Love is Blind. I have seen seasons one and two, thank you. Um, and um, and more importantly, I've seen every single season of uh, Love Island, UK, Australia, and uh, the US. Actually, I have not watched every single season of the US. So uh, even if you guys consider me intelligent, intelligent people also watch that stuff. Maybe you guys don't think I'm intelligent, and that's cool too. But uh, yeah. So that's really hype. Um, and then I'm still stalling for Mox to get back. <laughs> but um, yeah, chat, what do you guys want to talk about? What are we agreeing with, Brett? Um, do, do, do. Filling air. Oh, do you guys want to meet my new dog? I got a dog. Um, this is after show special. Um, but uh, yeah, meet. Oh. Yep. Okay, meet my dog, because I'm filling air right now. <laughs> what happened to Chris? Did he get? Did he leave? He uh, lost internet. So, oh, uh, yeah, my just, bad, my bad. I, I, was I just woke to... her up. She was sleeping, but showing up. Oh, okay. Oh so, god, I don't. I don't. My, my my bad too. I my internet just went out on me. And oh well, there. Well, there we go. The people. Well, the people got to be satisfied. I'm trying <laughs> to. I'm trying to figure out a way to bring in this other person that just decided to join the show here. Um, is, it, my is it Felix? It is Felix. Hi, um, Felix. Does a bear shit in the woods? <laughs> How do I want to... We're going we're gonna to do this live. We're just going to adjust live. And... Will Penix have a better CFF season? No. And Penix will also not... Well, I actually think he, so I actually think Penix will have a better CFF season than May. Than May? Because uh, the offensive That's coordinator possible. change? That probably happens. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really like Chip Lindsay all that much. And I, I mean, I like the weapons that they have at UNC, but I'm not like totally convinced. I would take Pen. I have not been in the seat to do so, but I would take Penix over May and CFF this season. Uh, but I would mean, I would, I would also much rather have Drake Bay in any other format. So and you're going to get Felix in here being like, we got to talk about Michael Penix. So. Uh, May, call me discriminatory. Left-handed yeah. quarterbacks do not make it. You're you're, you're live Hi, now, Felix. Felix. Yeah. There you go. 
I only came rushed over here because I saw Barnabas was struggling, and oh, Barnabas is out for one one night, and every you two just leave Barnabas to talk for himself. Yeah, like just leave. I had to go. I didn't I see it, but I'm sure he did a great job. It's the after job. show. Yeah, it's the after show. Yeah, it's after show. So I must have been on delay. How long ago was that? I don't know. How long were you on by yourself, Barnabas? For like thirty whole seconds. No, it was like a good two minutes. I got to talk about Love Island. I talked about the dog. I talked about how dominator rating isn't an individual statistic. And um, yeah. (laughs) What? uh, I would trust Barnabas uh, by himself with my life over. I just ran over here because he was by himself. Well, good looking Um, out, Felix. Good looking out. Thanks, Felix. I appreciate it. All that that hard work, and now he's gone. My internet goes out. My internet goes out. Matt, this is so. This is a lot different than Streamyard because Streamyard, yes, we were all we like any of us could be hosts, so we could like remove each other and and whatnot. So I can't. I cannot let myself into the show. Yeah, I have to have Matt do it for me, or else I would have been back within like five seconds. So if trade. you want to blame anybody, you can blame Matt. Yeah, I'll take all the blame. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> I had to go put my kids to bed, man. They're, it's it's almost uh, ten o'clock here. They're they're up. It's all it's already eleven o'clock here on the best time zone. I'm gonna get yelled at by my wife. Yeah, I woke up the dog for the for the uh, filling the space segment. There, oh, it was so, fine. Uh... Felix loves it. <laughs> I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> what the after show's um, for? We curse. We say stupid but... things. Funny things happen. But yeah, you could do anything. I did say show. that I I have seen Love Is Blind. Uh, yes, one, maybe two oh, seasons. Come on, Barnabas. Um, oh, yeah, you know what, man? I've been season seen season three. What season are we on? Are we on three? This is four. We're four on dropped four. on last Friday. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So I haven't seen three or four yet, but I have seen every UK and Australia season of Love Island. So if uh, I haven't seen any Love Island yet, yeah, neither have I. I've never even. It's the same thing over and over again. But uh, oh, I mean, it's not as bad as Temptation Island. That is legitimately the most trashy one. But you you could argue Love Is Blind is the same thing over and over again too. Really, just different people, different cities. Up there goes Chris again. Well, hey, you've still got me here this time. So I'm still I'm still here. I just need to step away for a sec. Okay. Yeah. Um, So. You need to watch it. But no, no. Temptation Island is truly the most ridiculous uh, premise that I have seen on any show ever, regardless of genre. Is that Netflix or – I've never heard of that either to be honest with you. Temptation Island is one where uh, there are couples who are like real-life couples that are on the rocks and they'll go to like these separate villas where there are all these singles of the opposite gender in the villa. So they separate the couples and just populate the men's villa with a bunch of single women and the women's villa is full of single men. And then they'll just, like, see whether they, like, get tempted or not on the beach. (laughs) Truly the most most ridiculous premise I have seen. So uh... Have you seen... I don't know. My wife wants me to watch this new show, and I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. I want to say it's going to be on Netflix. I'm sure Chris will know what I'm talking about when he gets back. So it, like, they, they, the way they set the show up in the trailer is it's like guys who are looking to date older women, and the older women want to date younger guys, right? And so. They set them all up. You have both groups there, and they're talking about, you know, 
coming and dating, and then they do the reveal, like all the guys come up to see who the women are, and it turns out that it's all of their moms who are all single. So like it's like twelve young guys, and they brought all twelve of their moms who are single, and yeah, I'm just like, what is wrong with the world, and why is this what we're doing? I mean, I think that's funny. That that could be content, right? Like it's gonna be content and drama show, for sure. Yeah, they made a whole show about like called Fuckboy Island, right? With Nikki Glaser. That was I've heard was funny. I, I haven't gotten around either. to seeing it. Uh, that one's very much like catered to, I think a younger, not married population, but, uh, you know, definitely like, you know, I think there's a space for Matt, you're thinking of MILF Island. Is that what it's called? I don't think that's right, but. It, 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 no, it is. It it comes on directly after. Yeah, it comes on directly after, um, uh, 90 Day Fiance on Sundays. No, this is on Netflix. Not that I would know, of course. It's on Netflix. Okay, it's well, like the Milf new Netflix Island, series. No, no, Milf, what I'm Milf talking Island about. Milf Island is literally the exact same plot. That, Milf, Milf Manor, okay. Sorry. I looked at Milf, Milf Island. Milf is Island is an episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the, it's the fictional uh, on some show. Um, but yeah, it, no, it's that it's that plot. It's, it's the women and their sons, and they're dating each other. Mm. Oh, no. There's a new one coming out on, on Netflix about it. I saw it. The other day, and my wife's like, "Oh, you've got to watch this." I'm like, "I don't know. I'm good. That's a little too much drama for me. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm good." Uh, that's, yeah, okay. Yeah. I feel like that's a great way. <laughs> that's a great way to end the show right there. 